Welcome to Redefining the Good Life, the podcast that calls BS on the rat race of modern life and helps you finally have the courage to go after your dreams. I'm your host, Aishan Karaduman, aka The Omnivorist. I'm a life coach and functional nutritional therapy practitioner. Using a blend of mindset tools and ancestral nutrition, as well as understanding just what it means to be human today, I'm here to help you change the trajectory of your life. Another future is possible, my friend. Welcome on board. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Redefining the Good Life. I hope you're doing well wherever you are in the world. Here in France, we just started a second confinement. Um, and yeah, this time around, it was, I've noticed that it was a little different. I felt a little different than the first time around. Even though they'd been saying, you know, I, I'd been hearing about it maybe 10 days, two weeks ahead of time, like, oh, on, the, on, on, on October 28th, they're probably going to announce another confinement. So we knew it was coming, but for some reason, I thought it wouldn't be as restrictive as what it turned out to be. It isn't exactly the same as the springtime. Um, well, schools are open, and which actually, of course, doesn't change much for us since our kids are homeschooled. Um, but you still have to, having basically like a permission slip, we have to fill out a, uh, an attestation to leave the house for any reason. And we can only take a walk around like within the one kilometer radius around our house. We can't see our friends, you know, especially since our kids don't go to school. Uh, they can't meet up with their friends. Um, you know, so far we're okay. But if this thing lasts for a while, I'm I'm a little... I'm a little um, anxious about that, let's say. And and the thing is, I've also realized this time around, <laughs> I wasn't feeling the same emotions, positive emotions, or at least emotions that allowed me to, you know, be more serene about it last time around. You know, the first time when we all confined in the spring, there was this sense, first of all, the entire world is kind of doing this, doing the same thing. And there was this sense of solidarity. There was a sense of goodwill, like, like we're all in this together. I remember feeling that way. I remember feeling like, okay, I mean, I'm just going to, you know, accept that this is the right thing to do right now. And let's just, um, let's just see what this brings us. And I think that in many cases, as much, as, as much, you know, as much bad stuff and as much um, difficulty and suffering it brought, it also brought a lot of soul searching. It also brought a lot of, um, you know, coming to terms with things and people hoping to take better care of themselves and maybe think deeper about their lives and what's important to them. You know, and some people have even made some big life changes as a result of everything that went on this year. So, I really think it's been a very special year in many, many ways. But this time around, I felt like, I mean, the only thing I could think was like, really? Is this still where we are after all this time? Like, this is still our strategy. Like, we're just kind of like running for cover. There's this, you know, evil pathogen out there and and we're going to just protect ourselves. And that's that's going to be our health, like public health strategy. Because here's what I'm thinking. If we are so serious about human health, 
then why is it that we're not actually talking at all about what it actually takes to be in good health and what it actually takes to support a healthy immunity? We're not talking about those things at all. I mean, there is an epidemic of chronic disease in our modern societies. And, you know, this is something I've brought up before in this podcast also with the whole evolutionary mismatch, because we no longer live in a way, our environment is no longer in alignment with our physiology and even our emotional health. So, and this is where a lot of our, you know, current problems come from. And and yet we're not actually doing anything about that. We haven't actually, I feel like we haven't actually taking, taken this opportunity to start asking these questions, to start a deeper conversation as a society around why do we see so many people sick and unhealthy and unhappy in today's world? And what can we actually do to support them and support ourselves? And, you know, there are actually things, even things I have talked about right here in this podcast that are pretty simple. They're not always easy, right? Habit change is not easy, but they are simple things that we can do to actually support people. You know, we we act like this virus is just out there and there is this evil enemy and, you know, it's the same war metaphor, this same metaphor of like us versus them that got us into this mess in the first place. And the virus does not hit everybody in the same way. We know by now, we have enough data now to know that those with pre-existing conditions, those with, with chronic conditions are hit much harder than those who aren't. And it's not black and white, of course, and there's an element of age, but age is more likely a factor because of all the compounding stuff, right? If you have, you know, unhealthy habits and if you are you know, if you're experiencing chronic issues, of course, those things compound with age, right? And so it means that the older generation is at much higher risk of being affected by this than younger people. But again, we are not taking the opportunity to actually talk about how we can actually do better, feel better. I mean, there's so much we can do already to improve people's chronic conditions. And when they, when those conditions are improved, they also become more resilient against, against infectious disease. That is just so evident. And there is so much we do already know. Yes, there is a lot we still don't know. It, 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 there have been, I have to say, this is, of course, an incredibly complex issue. I'm not trying to simplify anything. I'm actually saying the opposite. I feel like our approach has been way too simplistic. And this is why I just don't have any confidence, any trust anymore in what they tell us we should do. I was thinking about this and I thought, actually, it's almost like, you know, speaking of masks and distancing as the only thing in this context, like the only important actions in this context of health, it's almost like saying that the key to a happy, healthy love life and healthy relationships is practicing safe sex. <laughs> that sounds absurd, right? I mean, you know, to have healthy relationships, you have to have self-love, you have to have, of course, love and respect for the other person, you have to have healthy boundaries, you have to have clear communication. There's so much that goes into it. And whether or not, like, you don a condom or not is not something that is neither here nor there that is that has nothing to do with the actual you know vibrancy of your love life right so this is just the same like we don masks and we socially distance and okay 
okay, and then what? And it's almost like you're waiting for the next part, the rest of it to <laughs> come. And then the rest of it never comes. We actually do not talk about what it actually takes to be in good health. And, you know, and those are things, like I said earlier, they're not that complicated, right? Like eating real food, like making sure you have proper regular blood sugar, which, you know, as I've talked about in earlier podcasts, just changing your breakfast will have such a huge impact for that. And hello, we live in a country where, let's just say, it's almost a public health crisis, the way people eat breakfast here. Drinking enough water, having walks um, and spending time in nature, sleeping well, um, being close to your loved ones, managing your stress. You know, I could go on and on. But these are basically the prerequisites to having a proper thriving human experience and we are not taking this chance so i feel really i feel really disappointed i think i feel disappointed in our societies in our governments um about not having like it's like it feels like such a missed opportunity for ourselves and for future generations that we have not taken this opportunity to talk about what it actually takes um to be vibrant in today's world so this is why this time around, I have a bitter taste in my mouth. Um, and of course, we're, we're you know thinking about COVID deaths as the only thing we focus on. But then what about all the rest of it? What about all the rest that goes on in society? What about all these, like I said, those chronic issues, the diabetes and the cancer and heart disease and all this stuff that's killing people just as much as before, if not more than before? And what about those things? Again, because if we start to make those things better, if we start attacking the problem from really the root causes, then everything will be better, including viral infections. That's what I believe. And I also think that anybody who feels very certain about what's going on, maybe they're not really paying attention. Because I think whether you think this is our duty, this is what we have to do, masks and distancing are the way to go, like just toe the line, or if, whether you're somebody who's like, the whole thing is a hoax, there was never a virus, and I don't believe any of it, the whole thing is a giant evil conspiracy. I actually think those two positions are not that different from each other. Because I think in both of those cases, the need, that human need for certainty, actually blinds us to the fact that we live in a world that is anything but certain. It is actually incredibly messy, and there are no easy, clear-cut answers. But I think, again, by not asking those hard questions, we're really doing ourselves and our children a great disservice. So that's my little <laughs> rant today about the, about the pandemic and about our, um, our official approach to things. And, um, and actually, it's a little related to today's topic. I really wanted to talk about today about what it takes to actually change our habits in a lasting way. Because, you know, as I mentioned in this, you know, during my rant, it's, you know, we actually know what it takes to be in good health. Well, there is also a lot of misinformation out there, that's for sure. But there are many people who do know what, you know, what it takes for them to feel good, and yet they have a hard time doing it. And that is because our, you know, our lives our actions are not ruled by our conscious brains. Our actions are ruled by our unconscious brains. Our brains, and I mentioned this in earlier episodes, 
They love to be on autopilot. That is what they're designed for. There is so much out there, so much data at any given point. There is so much input, so much stimulus at any given point that our brains, their their job is to make things as easy, as streamlined um, as possible. And so that means that as human beings, we're creatures of habit. That is the way we're designed. That is the way we're supposed to be. But again, the problem is, since there is such a mismatch between the world in which we evolved versus the world in which we find ourselves today, a lot of our habits are actually making us feel unwell. So as I mentioned now, if you haven't listened to the last episode, episode eight on self-compassion, I really want you to go back after this one and listen to that because that is definitely the number one key to lasting change. That is to actually have your own back no matter what happens, no matter what you do or what you don't do. That is definitely um, the, the indispensable piece of this puzzle. Now, the reason most of us think we can't change our habits, again, as I mentioned last time, is they think they have some sort of weakness, they lack willpower, they lack discipline, they're just lazy Basically, something's off with them. There is a fault with them. And again, like I said, it's actually anything but. We actually live in a world where the whole thing is actually kind of rigged against staying healthy and happy, right? So that is the difference. Um, The way we think, because the way we tend to think about these things is, well, if you know how to eat better and how to move your body and all that stuff, you should just do it. And if you don't, then it's your damn fault. But that's not really true because information is definitely not sufficient to change our behavior. Information is like just the bare minimum. But like I said, because we run on autopilot, because we are such creatures of habit, just having the information does not automatically mean that you are actually going to start applying that information. Those are two different things. So if it's not about willpower, then what is it about? So here is what it is. Again, this is going back to the habits. It's about changing who you are. It's about changing the thoughts you have. It's about actually changing the desire. So for example, if you're trying to quit eating, you know, if you're trying to, I don't know, drink too much wine in the evening, it's not like, okay, I'm going to now substitute with some sparkly water with some, you know, cranberry juice or whatever, I mean, you could do that. That's, there's, that. There's nothing wrong with that. But you would want to dig deeper as to what are you making that moment mean? What kinds of thoughts are you having about your life? What kinds of feelings are you trying to avoid? Because a lot of, in a lot of um, cases, there are feelings we're trying to avoid. We're trying to buffer away. And this is why we're doing the things that we do. So if you can actually reclaim all of that, reclaim all of your thoughts and all of your emotions and who you're being in your life, how you're showing up, then that's when we actually change the desire. And when the desire is no longer there, of course, the urge is no longer there. But it's not an overnight thing. And I'm going to help you um, today with how that process works. And the reason I want to really, you know, spend time kind of laboring this point is because just breaks my heart how many people I hear say these horrible things about themselves. I have no willpower. 
I have no discipline. I can't be trusted around X, Y, Z, whatever your personal vice is. And it's, it's just so, it's just such a big misunderstanding. It is such a big misunderstanding about the way our minds work and the way we go about our everyday. White knuckling your way to your, to that healthier, happier, more fulfilled life, it's not effective. Because again, that is not how our minds do their best work. In order to achieve lasting change, you have to make sure that what you do on autopilot changes, right? It needs to become habitual. It needs to become, you know, something you do without thinking about it. It needs to become who you are. And that is actually the opposite of willpower. Instead of spending so much mental energy, you actually are barely thinking about it. So think about that. Like think about having become the kind of person who just who just takes good care of themselves. They just it's just it's just who they are. They do it naturally. It comes naturally to them. Like the things that you do as a matter of course all day every day, they actually com- conspire to make you feel good and even better and better as the years go by rather th- rather than its opposite, right? And again, it all starts in your mind and in how you're thinking about your problem. So if we break things down a little bit, how this habit change works step by step, I think these are the steps I would recommend. First of all, if there's anything that you want to change about the way you do things, about um, about your habits, get clear on your why. Like if you're trying to give up gluten or sugar or smoking or too much Netflix or what have you, first ask yourself, why do I want to change this? Because I mean, the truth is you don't have to do anything. You don't have to change those things. You can just, it can all just stay the same and it would be just as well. So ask yourself that question, why change in the first place? Is it to feel better in your body? Is it to feel less bloated, less inflamed? Is it to have more energy? Maybe to have fewer headaches? To be setting a good example to your kids? Is it to avoid all the health problems that your own parents are experiencing in their old age? You know, really paint that picture of how it could be for you. That is definitely number one, because that's going to really be your compass throughout the process. And then the other thing we do is when it comes to that moment where you find yourself doing the thing that you want to stop doing, focus on those thoughts. What's going on through your head in that moment? For example, is it things like, oh, I'm being deprived if I don't eat sugar with everybody else. I'm afraid of not having the willpower. I'm afraid of not feeling satisfied right now and then snacking out of control later. Um, you know, why, why is that scary for you? Why do you not even recognize that you actually have a choice in that moment? You will notice that a lot of the thoughts we have around stuff like this, they're very, um, they, they, they really are worded usually in a way that takes all the power away from us, like as if we're at the mercy of what's going on outside of us. Oh, you know, the cookies were just there and, you know, or the kids hadn't finished their plate and so I can't let things go to waste. 
you know, it'll be that sort of thing. But it will be so, you know, it, it, it will sound so innocuous that you will not even notice that those are the very thoughts that are actually getting you into trouble. So at that moment, the, in, the important thing is to be, to recognize those thoughts and then bring it back to something that works for you. Like, I am in charge of what goes into my body. I am in charge of how I spend my time and things like that. Things that will bring the power and the control back to you. Again, as, I, as I've said in previous episodes too, your brain is just afraid of change. It wants to avoid that discomfort. It wants to avoid that extra work, that extra energy of having to make those decisions in a very deliberate way. It just wants things to be, you know, as habitual, as autopilot, as automatic as possible. And that's normal. It's just that, you know, when we're changing that autopilot, it does take effort, right? That is where you need to think deliberately. But then slowly but surely, you have to understand that it will become your new normal. And the other thing is that, you know, the reason a lot of us, especially when we're trying to go these things alone, we give up at some point is because we think, you know, after the first like motivation and excitement die down, we think something's gone wrong. <laughs> But that's just, again, that's just the nature of the beast. And that's totally normal as well. You're not always going to feel excited and super duper into it. And, you know, you're going to have moments of genuinely doubting why you're doing it in the first place. And your brain will get really sneaky and really persuasive when it comes to that. Oh, come on. Like, really? Like, you will, you know, you, how do you know this happens is when you want to change like, let's say you've pre-decided something, you've made a promise to yourself about something, and yet you're tempted to change it in the heat of the moment. And you're not trusting the decision you've made for yourself. That is definitely a telltale sign that in that moment, you're kind of, you know, your brain's trying to trick you a little bit. So the key to that, I think, is to generate a feeling of committed and courageous, even when you don't feel like it. If you can muster that, and it's definitely not very glamorous, if you can muster that, that's definitely the key to getting where you want to go. And again, going back to that self-compassion piece, not beating yourself up when things don't go as planned, but instead use that situation as an opportunity, again, to learn from and to grow from. The other thing I would say is, in, is important, especially since we are such unconscious beings, like we are ruled so much by our unconscious brains, is, you know, that means that we are very sensitive to what's in our environment. There are all these cues around us all the time that are actually triggering the habits, that triggering those actions that we do automatically. And so if you can be mindful of those, for example, you know, trying to surround yourself with people who are already where you want to go or already see you in your full potential and make you feel good and make you feel confident and capable of going where you want to go. Or it could be only bringing foods into your home that you'd want to put into your body, etc. So changing those cues, changing that environment as much as possible will also be really, really helpful. And here's something, especially when it comes to food stuff, I really want to mention is that contrary to what most of us think, you know, most people think they have a problem with overeating, 
But in my experience as a professional, in most cases, the real problem is undernourishment. Now, I don't really have time to go into that too much today, but let's just say because we have been conditioned, especially as women, but not only, to really watch what we eat and etc., like over time we have become so deprived that of course our brains will naturally gravitate towards those calorically dense foods, those really sweet foods, um, those really carby foods. They're going to find comfort in that. That's normal as well. And so I would say the simplest trick for that is to just take my word, <laughs> listen to, I think it's episode five about breakfast, really, really make an effort to start your day right on the right footing. And you will see the fuel you get from that will make a huge difference, at least when it comes to the physiological part of um, any cravings you might experience. For me personally, I used to have a big sweet tooth when I was younger. I, I loved all kinds of pastries, sweet and savory, and of course, turkey. I mean, we have the, like, you know, one of my favorite cuisines. I'm a little biased. Um, you know, lots of amazing food, but also lots of, you know, baking as well. And I think that what happened is that the biggest thing that made the difference for me was when I started to think about food differently. That's really what moved the dial for me. When I started to think about food, not just as a package of calories, but actually as a source of nourishment and as, a, as, a, as something that delivers everything my body needs in order to do its job, in order to help me thrive. When I switched that, then it made everything so much easier. So if we go back to those, the, those steps I gave you earlier, it's, it's basically for me, I replaced the thoughts in my head around what food means for me. And that really made a huge difference because that just gave me so much power, so much commitment and so much confidence to change all of my habits or at least many of my habits around, um, around eating. And the reason I am, you know, spending so much time around habit change is because this is for me the number one step, the number one key, the foundation to be making those big life changes. Remember, I've been encouraging you from the very beginning in this podcast to ask yourself those hard questions about your life, to ask yourself if you are where you want to be, if you are living a life where all the parts are aligned and you're aligned with your deepest values. But in order to get there, in order to ask those questions and then even to take action on them, you need to have the right energy. You need to have the wherewithal. You need to have the sense that you are taking such good care of yourself. That is the indispensable first step. And this is why, you know, learning about how habit change really works is going to be so helpful to you on the way to getting there. So the next time you're trying to change something and your brain is trying to bully you and tell you terrible things about how bad you are, you can just smile and say, no, thank you. I won't be having any of that today. So I actually have a special treat for you this episode. I thought, what better way to illustrate this whole process of habit change that I'm talking about than by letting you hear an actual coaching session? Um, I periodically offer free coaching sessions, and this is from one I did a little while back. I'm coaching Caroline here, who's an American mom in Paris, 
and she's got a lot of her self-care under control, except for um, a little smoking habit. Listen as I take her through the process of changing her thoughts around that habit of hers, and also notice how coaching is all about helping you come up with your own answers. It is not a one-size-fits-all. And by the way, I mentioned the model during this call, and what I'm referring to there is the self-coaching model that's developed by Brooke Castillo, which is really one of my favorite tools in both coaching myself and coaching my clients. And, and this is how that goes. We have circumstances out in the world. The circumstances are anything that are outside of us. What other people say, what the weather is like, the elections, COVID, all of it. Those are neutral circumstances. Now we have thoughts about those circumstances, because remember, our brains are always writing a story about what goes on outside of us. So we have thoughts, and our thoughts create our feelings. Our feelings inspire our actions, and our actions create our results. Now this is basically the way we create our own reality with our own thoughts, okay? So that's what you need to know. And last but not least, if you also want to know about the next time I offer one of these free sessions, definitely make sure that you get inside my private Facebook group, Redefining the Good Life Community. So enjoy this session and I will talk to you next time. I have had a year, uh, about a year and a half of really not great uh, self-care, but I am on the other side of it now. Um, and so I lost a lot of weight after my daughter was born. I had a, I've traveled a lot for work and I was a little bit, I didn't prioritize my health, but now I'm back to prioritizing it again. So mm-hmm. back on track in terms of, I don't really have any health problems, touch wood. Um, I sleep well. I eat well. I need to eat a little bit more because I lost too much weight. Um, But I exercise. I do a lot of yoga. I do a lot of meditation. I really am focusing on all the things that you mentioned about, you know, the positive little thoughts and the self-care and the kind voice and the journaling and all of the things that, like, I've I've thankfully been able to make some good changes. Um, But the one thing that I have not done is I have picked up the nasty habit of smoking. Um, and it's hard in France. And I always had like what I would say, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I always had a healthy relationship with smoking in the sense that like I could do it in the summer. I could go for an apéro. I could have one. I could enjoy it and like feel the plaisir and then just like not smoke ever really unless I was like out with people or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the last year, and I kind of always would say, oh, well, I smoke a little in the summer because it's France and like, it's hard not to smoke in France in the summer because you're, you're surrounded by it. Um, but this last year, like it's now May and I'm still smoking from last summer. So I don't, and I don't want to be like in, I don't want to have another smoke smoking summer basically. So I've tried different things. Um, and I guess, honestly, I'm looking for like some easy, like small changes. Like you say, what are the things that I should be telling myself when I want to have a cigarette? Like, Mm -hmm. what are the things, how can I resist it? How can I, 
you know, how can I fight the urge? I breathing, like I read about breathing, like breathing is like apparently the thing that will help you fight the urge more than anything. Like if you can just focus on your breathing, take deep breaths, like tell your body that you're not looking for nicotine, you're looking for breath. <laughs> um, I've tried that. It's worked a few times, but then sometimes I'm just like, no, I just really want a cigarette. <laughs> so help me, Aisha. <laughs> tell me, why not continue to smoke? Um, because I don't like the way I feel after I smoke. I don't like the way I smell. How do you feel? I yeah. feel, I feel there's something that feels a little bit mm, smelly and dirty and not me. There's just something that feels not me. Um, and I don't like, eh, I don't know. It's like, there have been a few times where I've like had a cigarette in the kitchen out the window while the kids are there. And I just like, I don't like the feeling of then closing the window and seeing the kids and smelling like smoke. And like, I don't want to, that's not the kind of mom I want to be. That's not the kind of person I want to be. I, I also want to recognize that like, I'm allowed to have a cigarette from time to time. It's not like it's contraband, you know, if I want to have one, but I can't be smoking as much as I am. And I think that in order to get me back where I used to have what I would call a healthy relationship with smoking, mm-hmm. I think I need to really break the cycle because I'm not in a healthy place right now. I'm smoking too much. I buy I mean, like a pack a week, I would say, so even less maybe, but still enough that like, I feel it a little bit, you know, like in the morning, I feel like my throat hurts mm. and I feel, I feel dehydrated. And when I, when I go for, you know, to the gym, I, I just feel like this, I don't know, like chest pain, not pain, but just like awareness of my lungs. And I'm like, mm. I awareness that of my lungs, not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Like that's not like how I want to feel. So, so that's. That's how I feel. (laughs) Okay. And why do you, like, what happens? Like, why do you want to have a cigarette? Like, what goes through your mind? I think it's just a petit moment de de détente or de plaisir. Like, it's just, you know, I'm like, oh, well, I just feel like having the little buzz or having the little, like, moment of, like, maybe, I don't know, something, doing something. I don't know if it's doing something that's a bit naughty or doing something that's a bit for myself, or maybe it's a bit of both. And, and And why, like... Why have that moment, actually? What happens if you don't have it? Um, sometimes I resist that moment, but sometimes I don't. And so I guess I just... But I don't want you to resist it right now in your mind. I want you to go there. What okay. happens if you want a cigarette, you're not resisting the urge, but your hand is not going to the cigarette. Mm. I, I bet I, I think it's psychological, Aishan. It's like, it's like, I'm not mommy for a second. I'm me. I'm me. I'm not, I'm not anyone's, you know, I'm not responsible for anyone right now. This is my little moment de, de moi-même. Like, this is about me, like, being with myself, maybe. Because I love to, I love music. So I always will, like, have, you know, the kids go to sleep and then I'll put on my music and I'll have a cigarette. And then it's like, ah, it's my little moment where, you know... But then, but then I'm like, no, but that's like actually not cool. Like, I don't feel good. I feel good for maybe like a few minutes, but then I don't feel good afterwards. And I don't feel good. Like, and I feel really good when I resist it. Like, for example, there were a few weeks this year where I wasn't having any cigarettes and I was really proud of myself. So I guess I want to get to the point where I feel better and prouder of myself for not smoking Mm -hmm. than the plaisir of maybe having one cigarette because I'm 37 and I could live a long life if I take care of myself. And I want to get into the mindset of being like, you know, 
to take care of your body. You need it for another 50 years. Like, <laughs> What's happening here is like different parts of your brain kind of fighting with each other, right? Yeah. Like you have your executive brain who knows what's good for you. And then you have your like primitive brain, basically, that amphibian part of your brain that is focused on, you know, our brains are programmed for this. They want to, they want to avoid pain and have pleasure. Yeah. So unless you understand like how your brain is doing this, like you just end up like, this is why we have this decalage, like we, you know, between what we want and what ends up happening, what we end up doing. Yeah. So in that moment, um, there are various things actually to, to go by here from what you've told me already. Um, I, I don't need you to, you don't, first of all, you don't need, don't like try to resist the urge. Okay. You have to be able to be there with the urge. Okay. Because you have to understand, like sometimes it's a way, it's a feeling we're after. Sometimes it's a feeling we're trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. What is it? What is it for you? And why is it, um, and why is it, um, like, how about if you just face that feeling? Yeah. Because oftentimes, like, we are just trying to avoid negative feeling. Oftentimes, it's our resistance to a negative feeling that's having us, like, avoid and, like, in avoidance and seeking different pleasures. And, you know, but, but life is always going to be 50-50, 50% positive emotion, 50% negative emotion. It's part mm -hmm. of life. Like, being able to manage those moments of negative feeling are going to really determine in every aspect of our lives how, how successful we're going to be. And success in this way is just to realize the, your, your own projects and become the person you want to become. So on the one hand, you have to stop and realize what's going on internally. Yeah. Okay, so you say fight the, don't fight the urge. It's funny, my dad was telling me the same thing. He was saying, just lean into it. Just like, don't try to, don't try to punish yourself. Yeah, just accept not, that you want it. And, yeah. you know, instead of, instead of telling yourself in that moment, no, no, you don't want a cigarette. No, no, that's bad. No, no. Like rather like have the narrative be like, you really want a cigarette and that's okay that you really want a cigarette and you want a cigarette because it makes you feel, you know, like you're alone and quiet and you're just not responsible for anyone else in that moment and that's that's a feeling yeah. that you crave and it's normal that you crave that because you're taking care of two small kids and you have a high pressure job you know yeah. so it's not easy so i think if i move the narrative from a place of don't do that versus a place to be a place of compassion and be like it's okay but why don't you try doing this other thing so i guess i should what can i do to, to yeah. like where can i take that narrative after after i go to the feeling how can I then say, what do I propose in, 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 well, in what lieu? can you propose? You've already like that feeling of this Fruit? is my time for me. Well, you said, this is my time to me. And this is my, you know, time to be just responsible for myself. You said you mentioned music, for example. Yeah. Um, what are other things like that, that, that you can, you know, uh, here's the other thing though I because when you say fruit or like focusing on food or something like that I, I don't want you to come to that place of like you're trying to dull some sort of negative t sensation like negative emotion yeah like you're not just trying to replace cigarettes with something else like you want to this is why you do it step by step you first come to a place of not resisting that urge and like your dad said like in full acceptance of yourself and, and of your just desires and that that's normal mm-hmm but then come to a place of 
how else can you think of your life in a way that's not going to make you feel drained? Like, yeah, it's not easy like you with two small children and a hard like, like paying job, but then how else can you write that narrative? How, like, how can you write that story in a way where you're the superhero? <laughs> because do you want that? Do you want, your, do you want, did you want to have a family? Yes, I certainly did. And my children are my raison d'être. So, I mean, I think that's a really interesting way of tackling it because you, 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 you go from a place of weakness to a place of power and you say, I'm not doing this because yeah, I'm, I want to feel a cigarette. I want to have a cigarette because I feel weak and I feel like it will make me feel better. But then if I can, like you say, change the narrative and say, focus on, yeah, it's great that I am doing this stuff and I am also taking care of myself. And I am also putting my long-term health above things, you know, above my short-term, you know, interest in having a burst of serotonin or whatever for the, you know, so that someday I will be, you know, there with my children when they have children and I will be there to like live moments in my old age with my children. I think that's the sort of way I need to start changing the shifting the mentality. You're amazing. (laughs) (laughs) But honey, you totally hit the nail in the head. Like exactly when you're having your old story of like, oh, this is what I need right now. Oh, I can't be bothered to talk about, think about anybody else. You are putting yourself in that like disempowered position, like that victim position. Oh, mon petit plaisir. It's a very Parisian tendency, by the way. Oh, le petit plaisir, you know? Like, oh my God, like, first of all, your life is amazing already. What you've built is amazing already. Like if we are like proud of what we've put out there and then even when we're tired, physically tired, that's going to feel good. Like I am tired because I fucking kicked ass today. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And when you're empowered, you want to naturally want to take better care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's about moving to a place of power. Yeah. Wow. Okay. This is really good, helpful, good advice. You've come up with it. (laughs) No, but I, well, I mean, a lot of, I, I'm a heavy believer in all of the things that you, you know, are talking about. So I've, I've been trying to do the work myself, but sometimes it's like, you need to talk it through someone with someone. Of so course. it's normal. Yeah. yeah. And I want you to, one thing that's homework for you, okay. but I want you to especially think about, um, the one part of the, the model we, we, we talk about is our thoughts create our feelings and our yeah. circumstances are neutral. So with the, when you say, um, it's hard not to smoke in France. It's hard to be a non-smoker in France, especially in the summer. Mm. That's a thought. Yeah, it Can is. Can we agree exactly. that not every, like a thought is something. Yeah, you have there are lots of people that aren't agree, smoking right? in France. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, the, and you know what happens when you think that? It becomes fucking hard not to smoke in France in summer. <laughs> our thoughts create our results. Yeah, when you yeah, think yeah. that thought, it becomes inevitable to want to smoke. And guess what? You want to smoke. And guess what? You do smoke. Mm, and guess exactly. what? You don't feel so good. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So your homework is to come up with different thoughts that you can believe today that, are, that, don't, that don't have to be like crazy wild, you know, just whatever you can, you're able to believe today about just, let's say, smoking and living in France. <laughs> okay, great. Awesome. Okay, Thank honey. you.